Let me tell you about our God. He is kind. And um, interestingly, part of his kindness is that months ago, I, uh, I had scheduled to preach on anxiety today. And uh, it was so good for me to be deep diving into that topic this week and just meeting with God in his word over that topic. And um, so I want you to know that it comes from a real place this morning, that this comes from real life, because I believe strongly that his word is real and, um, and it impacts us in real life. So I want to pass that on to you today. Today's the first leg in a new series called Enemies of the Soul. And Enemies of the Soul examines several topics, uh, three different topics of things that have potential to eat away at our interior lives and how God can help us experience strides forward in those areas, even experience breakthroughs and victories in those areas. And so today we're going to talk about the area of anxiety. Um, my, my daughter Zoe, she's three years old, she loves to sing. And one of her favorite songs is Ever Be. It's a song that we sing here every now and again. And there's a line in that song that goes, We sing worthy are you, Lord. But you know she's still three. She can't read yet. And so she's trying to make sense of these words with her own vocabulary. And I think even though we've corrected her, she's still kind of stuck on this. She'll, she walks around the house and she sings, we sing worries, are you, Lord? And I just chuckled to myself. How often do worries become our Lord and run our, run our lives and consume us? Anxiety is a real issue, guys. It's a real issue in our nation. Did you know that around the world, 1 in 13 people experience an anxiety disorder. But in the United States, one in five adults experience an anxiety disorder. It is the number one mental health concern in our nation. One in five adults are currently experiencing an anxiety disorder. That is anxiety to the level that it is getting in the way of our life functioning. And one in three adults will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives, one in every three. And you know, just really hit me this week is that one in three youth currently are experiencing an anxiety disorder. And that's, that's anxiety to the level of a disorder. There was also a study that went out and asked some people in the United States of America about anxiety, and it, it came back and said that of the people who responded, two-thirds said, reported, that they experienced anxiety, somewhat to extreme levels of anxiety in the previous year. Two-thirds experienced that feeling. And then they, they followed up and, and asked the exact same people a year later, and it had gone up 5% in 2018. So that is 70% plus, if my math is right, people experiencing Levels of anxiety that get upwards of extreme in our nation. And so we want to look at that topic this morning and what God has to say about it. 
And to do that, I want to do something different this morning. It, it relates to something I heard a preacher say years ago. He was talking about marriage. And he said, in the Bible, there's, there's a few passages that deliberately mention the word marriage and give direct instruction towards marriage. And those passages are great. They're gold. But if we limit ourselves to just those passages, we will miss out on a lot because the Bible is filled all throughout with principles that can really help our marriage. It just doesn't say the word marriage. And I think, I think similar to that, there's a handful of passages in Scripture that use the word anxious or anxiety. And those passages are gold. And yet if we limit ourselves to those passages, we'll miss out on a lot. Because there's principles all throughout Scripture that can help us with our anxiety. And one of those passages, I believe, is Psalm 23. It doesn't use the word anxiety, but I believe what we see in it can turn anxiety on its head and empty anxiety of its power. You know, a lot of us know this psalm. It might be the most familiar psalm um, in the United States of America. We've memorized it, but maybe because of that, it has just become a saying to us. So I want to hear it afresh today. And many of us have heard it in the context of a funeral. And I, I like how one scholar said, in essence, yes, this is a psalm that can be used at funerals. But it's not just a psalm about dying. It is a psalm about living. It is a psalm about everyday life. Or like Martin Luther said, who was, uh, who was the uh, reformer who brought about the Protestant church way back in the late medieval ages. Like he said, he was preaching on, anxiety, on, on Psalm 23, and he said, this psalm comforts us in all, our, in all of our which is a German word, which all sound angry, but it's a German word that includes anxiety. He said, this psalm speaks to us in our Anfektum, which is including anxiety. And so I want to look at it today, and I think more than anything, what it does for us is that it points us to a person. I think that's really how it helps us. Because when, we're experiencing, when we are experiencing anxiety, I believe that's what we need more than anything else. Sometimes facts can help us. Like, look at it this way. Look at it a different way. But honestly, sometimes when we are experiencing anxiety, our head is spinning so much that we don't know what facts to hang on to. And sometimes what can be most helpful to us is a person who is hanging on to us. It is a power of a person who is there with us every single day, walking us through our anxiety, relating to us in the midst of that experience. And this is not just any person. But how does it start out? How does this psalm start out? So, thank you. The Lord. It's like that Sunday school answer. It's the Lord. So my question this morning is, how does the Lord relate to us in the face of our anxiety? And what we will see is that when anxiety rises and overwhelms, we have a shepherd, we have a friend, and we have proof. So if you're not already there, I want to invite you to turn there to Psalm 23. We will work through the entire psalm, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 23, you might have it memorized, but I want to invite you to turn there or find it in your phone anyway. 
This is Psalm 23. It shows us that we have a, a shepherd and a friend and the proof in the midst of our anxiety. So number one, when anxiety arises, we have a shepherd. That's the dominant imagery that we see in the first half of this psalm. So how does he relate to us as a shepherd? Three ways. Number one, he provides. And that's found in verses one through three of this psalm. We have a shepherd who provides. Verse one starts out like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean? It used to confuse me as a kid. I used to think, why is God a shepherd that I don't want? But I think most of us know that it means the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I will not lack what I need. It's the same principle that Jesus talked about in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And almost more than any other topic, he talked to his disciples about anxiety. Isn't that interesting? His most famous sermon, almost more than any other topic, he talks to his disciples about anxiety. Don't you think we should talk about it in church? But do you know what he said? Part of what will get you through is knowing that you have a heavenly Father who will provide for you. He famously says, look at the birds of the air. They're not anxious about what they're going to eat because God will feed them. Look at the flowers of the field. They're not anxious about what they're going to wear because God will adorn them. And if he does that for them, your heavenly Father will provide for you. And in the same way, we have a shepherd who will provide for us. Notice how it says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is the first time in Scripture that that kind of terminology is used. It's radical. God has been called a shepherd before, but it's always like he is a shepherd. He is a shepherd in general of the flock. And then all of a sudden, this psalm comes along and says, The Lord is my shepherd. He will pay attention to me to make sure my needs are met. And that's the imagery that we see in verse 2 with two images, two overlapping images. First it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. And what what that's an image of is when you are a sheep, you often get your food by wandering through the wilderness as the shepherd leads you. And if you come to a patch of grass that is kind of brown or sun-scorched or just kind of spotty like my lawn, you eat a bit, but then you have to keep moving looking for more. But this is saying, he makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, it's a place where there is enough so that you don't have to go looking for more. You can lie down there and rest because there's enough. And that's the exact same imagery of of him leading us to still waters. You know, after studying this, I think that is better translated Waters that bring us stillness. So it's less about the waters being still and more about the the fact that the waters cause us to be still. Why? Because it's not just a little pool of water on top of a rock that a sheep goes and then has to keep moving looking for more water, but there is enough water that you can be still. You can drink 
and rest and not have to keep moving. So it's a double imagery to show us that as a shepherd, God provides us with enough. Enough that we don't have to go looking elsewhere for more. Sometimes our anxiety comes from scrambling for more when we already have enough. And I believe that's partly because our whole culture is built on the concept of more. We need more. But sometimes we can experience rest when we look at our lives and realize God has provided enough. We can lay down and be still. And yet sometimes we look at our lives and honestly, the circumstances don't show that. And that's when this psalm becomes an expression of trust, where we look to the future and say, I know this will be true. It it becomes a prayer. Because even look at that line where he leads us to those still waters. Imagine being being a sheep walking along the path. You don't know where you're going. You're looking around along the path. You're saying, how am I going to eat? How are my needs going to be provided for me? I don't see it. And yet... The shepherd knows where he is taking you. The shepherd already has a destination in mind. He is leading you there so that he can provide for your needs. As a sheep, you might not see it yet, but you can trust that the shepherd is on the way taking you there. And that's part of how we can trust him to meet our needs. He will lead us to that place. Even when we look at our lives and the circumstances, don't quite show it yet. He is leading us to provide for our needs. And do you know how else he provides for our needs? Verse 3 says, He restores my soul. And I wish I had more time to talk about this. I almost wish we could do a separate sermon on this. But sometimes when we read the word soul, we read into it the secular Greek philosophy that there is a sharp division between mind, body, and soul. A philosophy that mostly came after the Bible was written, but has influenced the way that we think about things. It's not always the case in Scripture, and especially here. The word is the Hebrew word nephesh. So he restores my nephesh. And really what that often means, and I think what it means here, is my whole being. Myself. I saw this translated somewhere, my person. He restores my person, my whole being, everything about me, mind, body, and spirit. So yes, when we're experiencing anxiety, He helps us spiritually because that's part of the picture. And yes, when we are experiencing anxiety, He cares for our emotions. And that's why He provides things like counselors who can help us work through those things. That's a gift from Him. What I want to sit on for a second is that he also cares for us and our physical health in the midst of our anxiety. Because I want you to know that anxiety is just, it's not always just in your head. It is so often a physical experience. And because of that, how God can help us in our anxiety is by providing things that help our physical well-being like Like movement, if you're able to move, that is a gift from God. If you're able to walk, 
or exercise, that that can be a way that God meets your needs in the midst of anxiety. I mean, I can tell you that is probably the number one thing that helps me when I am anxious is getting up in the morning, walking, grabbing a, or getting up in the morning, running, grabbing a coffee and walking. I can't tell you how much that physical thing has helped me in anxiety. And I also want to say that sometimes in church, when people are experiencing anxiety, we tell them, pray harder and it will go away. And I do think we need to pray. Of course I do. But I also think that for some people in particular, anxiety is hardwired into the chemistry of their bodies. Just like any other physical condition. And so because of that, sometimes for some people, medication can be received as a gift from God. As a way that he cares for our whole nephesh, our whole being, including, including our bodies. So I'm not trying to push meds. I'm not saying it's for all people all the time. Please don't tweet that. But I just want us to take the stigma out of it. Anxiety can be just as much a physical issue as diabetes. And I don't think that, that medication is the entire answer for diabetes all the time, but I think that it can help. And did you know that the brain is just as much an organ as the kidneys? And sometimes that can be received as a gift from God. That he has given researchers and scientists gifting and abilities, people who don't even know him, but he uses them to bless the world and show his goodness to the world. It's what old theologians used to call common grace. And out of that, out of how he has used them, we can receive that gift and just say, you know what, for the time being I need this and thank you God. Thank you for that. So he meets our needs. He meets our entire needs. Our whole nephesh. He provides for us as a shepherd. But number two, as a shepherd, he leads us. He leads us. And this helps us when we are experiencing anxiety about direction in life or about a a big decision or juncture that we're at. We're just seeking God. God, I don't know where to go. It says in verse 3, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. He will lead us. He will lead us down the righteous paths to go. So how does He do that? I mean, first, I think there's conviction. I think... When we're faced with a decision and there's a a righteous option and an unrighteous option, that as we're seeking God, the Holy Spirit will tell us through conviction, don't go down that path. Don't go down the unrighteous path. Don't go down the path that leads to greed. Don't go down the path that leads to bitterness. Don't go down the path that leads to indulging in lust. Don't go that way. And go down the righteous path. So how do we know what's righteous? Number one, his word tells us. His word describes what is righteous. So we look to his word. Number two, counsel from others. The Bible also tells us it is a good thing to seek advice from others. Don't try to be a lone ranger making your decision. And righteous people, people who are seeking to live according to God's will, that holy and loving life, those people can help us see what's righteous. 
And then third, through prayer. Because third, through prayer, we can come to God and say, God, would, would you convict me if this is an unrighteous path? But if this is a righteous way to walk in, I've checked your word, I've checked with people, would you give me freedom in going forward in this? And you know what? I think sometimes we want the exact specifics of what we're supposed to do. And sometimes God does tell us that. But what I see in Scripture is that his concern is that the path is righteous, that it conforms with a holy and loving life. And so if you are faced with multiple paths of righteousness and you've checked it, you've, you know, you've gone through all your checks and said, okay, I know this is not unrighteous, I know this is righteous, I believe that you have freedom in going forward in one of those righteous paths because that is what God wants. And as you go forward, you just remain open to God and He will lead you. You know, back in college, I was so concerned that I would make a wrong decision about my career path. And like I would somehow miss... That, that, that one thing that God would have me do. And I remember it was right after I met Lisa. I mean, like, right after. And part of what impressed me about her is she said, let me give you some advice that somebody gave to me. God's kingdom matters more to him than it does to you. So if you are concerned about, if you're concerned about advancing God's kingdom, you can trust that he's even more committed to that, and he will use you. So rest. You don't have to be anxious about that. And that makes sense to me. Because I don't think God is going to say to us, oh, you missed your one little opportunity to serve me. I didn't, want you to, I didn't want to use you anyway, so now you are forever consigned to a life of kingdom insignificance. Go sit on the bench. Right? Listen to Listen. God is not going to put you on the bench if you are seeking to live a righteous life and honor Him. One verse that I'm hanging on to is Ephesians 2.10. He has prepared good works in advance for us to walk in. He's already prepared them. He's going to lead us in them. So we can rest and trust Him to lead us in those big decisions. So as a shepherd, he provides for us. He leads us. And number three, the third way he relates to us in our anxiety is that he accompanies us. A shepherd doesn't say to the sheep, all right, guys, make four lefts, and then you'll see a bush. At the bush, turn around in a circle. Lay down flat. Then you're going to want to take a right, take a spin, take three left, and then go straight, and you'll get to the green pastures. He walks with them. And this is found in, this is found in, the, 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 in verse 4. It says, famously, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, And that probably means two things at the same time. Number one, it could be talking literally about death. And that means when we are walking through those times in life when we are faced with death, whether it's the threat of death on our own lives or someone that we love 
or even the shadow of death. Walking in the aftermath of someone that we love. That when we're walking through those times, he's with us. And it also means, it can be translated deep darkness. I think it means both at the same time. In some places it actually is translated deep darkness. So when we are walking through those valleys of deep darkness, and that means, I mean in the daylight, you know exactly where you're going. You know what's around the corner. You know your surroundings. But when you're walking through a valley in deep darkness, You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's lying in the shadows. You don't know your surroundings. You are in unknown, unfamiliar territory. It's like you're feeling your way forward. You're in the darkness. Do you ever feel like that in a season of life? You are just walking in what is unknown, and you don't know what to do. That's walking through a valley of deep darkness. And do you know what it says? says, I will fear no evil, which could be spiritual attack, but it could also be translated disaster. I will fear no disaster. Why? For you are with me. And the whole psalm kind of flips right here because up to this point, it's all in the third person describing the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, he provides for me. And then all of a sudden, it's like the psalmist David can't contain himself. He says, for you, second person, are with me. Sometimes when we think of this psalm, we get a picture in our minds of like a, a nice, serene, European Jesus. Everything is clean. You know, he's just washed his face with some apricot scrub. But did you know that shepherds were known for being dirty and smelly? That's why they were outcasts. That's why they were despised by society. They were known for being smelly and dirty because they got in the mess with the sheep. They got in their mess. They would carry them. They would mend their wounds. They would, they would sleep next to them. They would get dirty with them. So we have a shepherd. Not someone who calls us and gives us instructions over the phone. Not someone who sends us money From time to time, we have a shepherd who gets in our mess with us. And I think that's one thing that is so helpful when we are in those valleys of death and darkness. To know that we are not alone. Some of the things that have helped me the most when I've had struggles in life are people who have said, let me come be with you. That's it. Let me come be with you. And yet, no human being can be with us every minute of every day. And human beings will fail us. They will. We will fail one another. But we have a shepherd who is always with us, who loves our soul, and who can protect us with his rod and his staff. He is always with us. So, we have a shepherd who provides for us, who leads us, and who accompanies us, who is with us in our mess. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. Not only do we have a shepherd, but we have a friend. He relates to us as a friend. 
That's the imagery in the second half of this psalm. And, uh, you know, when, when people describe the structure of this psalm, what you see the majority of the time is shepherd and host. Shepherd and host. Shepherd and host. That's what the majority of people say. But I like how one person said, it is shepherd and friend. Because a friend is someone in whose house you can feel at home. And a friend is someone in whose home you can stay for a while. And that's really the imagery we see in verses 5 and 6. So he is a friend to us. How? How does he relate to us as a friend in our anxiety? Two ways. Number one, he's generous. He's generous towards us like a friend. He gives to us. We can see that in verse 5. It says, you prepare a table for me. And a table is that imagery of sitting down and connecting with somebody. And you know, I think in our day and age, we often, um, we often eat really fast, like, oh, no, 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 I'm done, right? Or we even eat in front of the TV. But in ancient times, it could take hours to eat together. You would recline and just rest and relax and connect with one another. You see the contrast here? As a friend, he's got this table set up for us. This meal all set for us to connect with him in the presence of our enemies. Which could be literal, literal enemies, but it's also a psalm, so it could be figurative. The very things in our lives that threaten us. All those things. In the midst of those things, he's got a table set for us where we can connect with him and experience his peace and his friendship. But sometimes we are running and running and running away from the things that threaten us, and he is inviting us in. He's inviting us in to slow down, relax, and experience peace with him. That's what he offers us as his, as our, as his friend. We are his friends. And then it also says, my cup overflows. That's part of his generosity. As a friend, he's so generous to us that he's pouring out things into our life so much that our life literally can't contain all that he's giving to us. Our cup overflows. We can't hold it all because he's giving us so much. That's how generous he is. And I think, I think this can be so helpful to us in our anxiety is realizing how generous he's been to us, how generous he is to us, and that our cup overflows. I mean, sometimes when I'm dealing with disappointment, I remember, number one, he's given me Jesus, who has given me his life, and all that I have because I have Jesus. I mean, on my worst days that I can stand before God and say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because of Jesus, I have this relationship with God himself. I mean, even if all he gave us was Jesus, that would be enough for an overflowing cup, enough to thank him every day. But he keeps going. I mean, I, I think of Lisa and, and the girls. I mean, I'm not entitled to that. That is a gift. And then I just can keep going down the list and waking up with a roof over my head and, and leaving the house and be like, God, thank you that I live next to Humboldt Park. And, and thank you for a good night's sleep. And God, thank you that this cup of coffee I made this morning was the bomb. And thank you and thank you and thank you. And all of a sudden there's all these things to be thankful for. That feeling sorry for myself starts getting crowded out of my life. 
Because anxiety says, look at what you don't have. Or look at what you could lose. But my cup overflows says, look at how much you have. Look at how good he's been. And all of a sudden, it's like it, it's the pity party pooper. It crowds out the pity party in our souls, just realizing how much he's given to us. I think this is key in our anxiety. It relates to probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible about anxiety. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, one package. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. And sometimes we stop there, like I said, and just say, okay, stop being anxious and start praying. And you should be ready, right? And I do think we should pray. I think this is what this is calling us to. But I think, it's, I think one of the keys in this is how it goes on. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. With thanksgiving. And then... The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving is part of experiencing the peace of God when we are anxious. You know, I think anxiety and depression are related. And a while back, I was talking to uh, someone who is experiencing depression. And um, he's not a part of this church, but we were just checking in. And I said, hey, you know... How are you handling your depression right now? And among other things, he said to me, one thing that I am doing that is helping is I am being intentionally thankful. And that is helping me so much. And I just thought right on. Thanksgiving can help us experience peace and anxiety. So as a friend, he's generous to us. And then lastly, in verse 6, we can see that he is good and loving towards us. He's good and loving towards us. It says, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And that word for mercy, to translate it mercy, is a little bit weak. It's actually a special Hebrew word, chesed. I mean, I think entire books have been written about this word. It's hard to translate it perfectly into English because it's, it's a robust concept. It, it really means two things at the same time. Committed, tangible love. Committed, tangible love. That's why some English Bibles translate it steadfast love. It's that sense of it being a committed love that is always there. But then another English Bible translates it loving kindness. Because it's not just a feeling, but it works itself out in acts of kindness. So committed, tangible love will be there every day of my life. Every single day. Surely, surely this will be the case. It will follow me. And like one scholar said, that's kind of a watered down expression. A better expression would be, it will pursue me. It will chase me down every day of my life. And so I don't know what will happen tomorrow. I do not know what will happen for me. I do not know what will happen for you. But I know that no matter what happens, He will love me through it. He will show me His goodness through it. That every single day, 
that will be the case. Nothing will happen to me apart from his love and his goodness. Wherever, wherever we are, it will chase us down. It will tackle us. It will come and find us. His love and goodness will be there to, to work us through it. And I can look down the line. And I can say with hope, with confident hope, that no matter what happens, I will be okay because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so sometimes we feel anxiety about the future. And yet this final part shows us that when we look to the future, we can have the confident expectation that no matter what happens, we will experience His love, we will receive His goodness, and we will have hope that no matter what happens, we will be okay. So He is good and loving towards us as a friend. So He relates to us as a shepherd, as a friend, and also as the proof. How do we know he's a shepherd and a friend towards us? Because our God took on flesh. He could have left us to ourselves. We had turned our backs on him. He had every right to. We had been ugly to him. That's what sin is. But he took on flesh. And with that flesh on, one day he said... I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And do you know what else he said? He said, greater love has no one than this, that he should lay his life down for his friends. So he's a shepherd and he's a friend who loves us so much that he would and did lay his life down for us to meet our deepest and most ultimate need. And so if He loves us like that, we can be sure that He will love us through all of our anxiety. He is our shepherd and He is our friend. So I want to invite the band up at this point and just say that when anxiety arises, what this psalm shows us is that we have a person a person who relates to us in the midst of it, even more than a fact to hang on to, but a person who is holding on to us. We have a person. And he never changes. His name is Jesus. And so my one final encouragement in this sermon is for us to turn our eyes upon him. Because he never changes, but sometimes our awareness of him can. So let this be an encouragement to turn our eyes upon him. Number one, to turn our eyes upon him for salvation. Turning away from ourselves and looking towards him. And how he offers us himself by faith. By faith in what he's done for us through the cross. And if you'd like to talk about that more, you can talk to me to turn our eyes to him in salvation. But also, to turn our eyes upon him if you feel you've been distracted. If you feel, if you feel that, like, like my daughter thinks, that you've been looking more at the worries than the one who is worthy. And you want to come back to that awareness of the fact that he's with you.